welcome back to Grace Talks, a Christian's women's podcast that studies the Bible, the women in it, and applies it to our lives today. It's definitely summer, and I'm not sure what the weather is like where you are, but it has been in the hundreds way too often here in Texas, making me once again wish for cooler weather when I was just wishing for warmer weather as the annual tradition goes. If you're like most people, the summer usually includes some kind of vacation or plan to get out of your normal routine and rest, adventure, and or hang out with the people that are important to you. If you have young kids, vacations may not feel like much of an opportunity to rest, but that's ideally the point, right? There's just something about taking a step back from life and getting to take a break from work or school or whatever else is keeping you busy and helping you slow down a bit. In the midst of another busy season of life, I've been learning the value of rest and the value of busyness. I know that sounds strange, but I have a story in the Bible that I've been thinking a lot about, and it explains my thought process on this a bit. You see, there was a man named Elijah, and he was a prophet back in the days when being a prophet for the Lord was not cool. And to be fair, oftentimes being a prophet for the Lord was not cool and they were persecuted, but his was really high up there. In fact, what was really popular was to worship a bunch of other gods like Baal. Baal was an image of a bull and was worshipped as a god of fertility and harvest. As a god of pagan nations, they believed he brought rain and had association with the sun and with thunder. If you want to compare him to like a more well-known mythology, it was kind of like the Greek Zeus of Canaanite culture. And the king of Israel at the time was into worshiping all of those pagan gods. And he married a princess from another nation named Jezebel, and she influenced him further into idol worship, even to building the altars and temples and similar things like that to these idols, to these so-called gods. Well, Elijah comes along and approaches the king, King Ahab, and lets him know that there's going to be neither dew nor rain the next few years, except at his word through the power of God, the one true God, that is, not any of the gods that he was worshiping. The Lord wanted to show him that it wasn't Baal who brought the rain and the harvest, but God. So after telling the king this news, God instructs Elijah where to go after that to avoid the wrath of King Ahab, because he was not a happy king to be told that this was going to happen. And also for Elijah to be provided for in the midst of the drought. And God provides for him in all sorts of crazy ways, from ravens to a widow with a jar of flour and a jug of oil that doesn't run out until finally... When three years has passed since the drought began, God instructs him to return to King Ahab. Elijah instructs Ahab to bring people from all over Israel to Mount Carmel, I think is how you pronounce it, and to also bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who ate at Jezebel, his wife's table. So in front of this crowd of people, Elijah says to them in 1 Kings 18, 21, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. So Elijah challenges the many prophets of Baal. He tells them to build an altar, uh, pick a choice bowl for an offering, but not to light the fire. But they can call on the name of their God, and he's going to call on the name of his God. And the one who answers by fire, he is the true God. And all the people agreed that 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 was a good idea. So the 450 prophets of Baal get started. They build up the altar, they slaughter the bull, and they're calling on the name of Baal from morning until noon. And so they dance and they're shouting for him to answer, but nobody answered. Elijah even is encouraging them to shout louder so that their God can hear them or take notice of them, kind of taunting them. 
throughout the process. And then they continue from noon until evening and they're shouting and dancing and cutting themselves, but nothing is happening. Verse 29 actually says it this way, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. So then Elijah says to the people, come here to me. He repairs the altar that had been torn down. He builds up 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes that are supposed to represent Israel, even though at the time that they're separated. And then in verses 33 to 39, it continues the story saying, he arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah started off asking the people to make a decision, to make a choice. He asked them, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And now Elijah had just demonstrated to the people without a doubt, which God had the power and it wasn't Baal. And as Elijah prophesied rain and it poured down after this, he then proceeded through the power of the Holy Spirit to run ahead of King Ahab into the city six miles away. Meanwhile, King Ahab is returning to Jezebel after all this happened to inform her of everything, including the deaths of all her prophets, because they actually put to death those prophets of Baal, the 450 of them, every single one of them after this had happened. And Queen Jezebel is not happy. She sends word to Elijah, promising that by this time tomorrow, he will be as dead as one of her prophets of those 450 that have died. It's pretty dead. She's promising that she's going to make sure that he is killed by this time tomorrow. And Elijah, for all of his authority and courage, was afraid and ran for his life. Now, at this point, I'm sure you're wondering why I'm telling you this story when I started off telling you about my meditations on the value of rest and on the value of busyness. But we finally reached the part I feel most drawn to talk about. But I feel like all of that really leads up to understand what's really going on in this part of the story. So Elijah, after this great spiritual victory, is running for his life, and we find him suddenly at a great spiritual low in chapter 19, which is a bit, big contrast of what just happened. In 1 Kings 19, 4 through 5, it says that he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. So right now, Elijah feels completely alone and following God. He's also exhausted. And you know what isolation and exhaustion is a recipe for? Depression, hopelessness. When you're tired and have no one around you to encourage you, it's going to feel like there's no victory ahead of you, even if there was recent victory behind you. And Elijah had direct communication with God. He had communion with him. He had just had the type of victory that showed off the physical power of God and turned people's hearts back to the Lord. He had just summoned rain to end a three-year drought. He was filled with the power of the spirit to have strength to run ahead into the city to make sure the news was delivered accurately of what God had done. He raced ahead of King Ahab's chariot for six miles. And here we find him asking God to let him die, to be done. Have you ever felt like that? 
post-victory or post-failure. I know, I know I have. Sometimes you just want to be done. Sometimes the trials just feel too overbearing and overwhelming and unconquerable. So how does the Lord answer Elijah's prayer? When verses five through nine, we find out. It says that all of once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and then lie down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So first, God let him rest. As much as we may try to be our own gods and handle everything ourselves, there's something that we need to understand and accept, and that is that we are human. So we have limitations and restrictions of what we are capable of. And God created us that way. He created us to be dependent on him. And part of that looks like trusting him to take care of what needs taking care of and resting in a way that glorifies him. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So when you're feeling overburdened, when you are at the end of your rope, no strength, no hope, and feeling alone like Elijah, there is a place, a refuge where you can find rest, where your soul can be refreshed in a way that just can't be explained away without the supernatural powers of God. I've been learning a lot about rest, and I still do not feel adequate enough on what I have been learning about to talk that much about it yet, but I can tell you that I feel most rested and most refreshed when I prioritize things like reading my Bible, prayer, and surrounding myself regularly with people who pour into my cup by praying for me and encouraging me in my faith. I find myself refreshed and not anxious when I have trust in God to handle what I can't, because there's a lot that I can't do. There's a lot that's out of my control. And when I openly admit my inadequacies and ask him to step in, that allows me to step back, to breathe, to accept God's limitless power in place of my limitations. Once the Lord has allowed Elijah to rest, to fill up on food from his angel, Elijah is good to go for 40 days. And here is where he meets with God. In verses 9 through 10, it says, And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. I love how the Lord so often approaches his children with questions. Questions he knows the answer to, but questions he knows needs to be asked of us to get us to think and to respond. So what is Elijah doing there? What is he doing being defeated and away from his calling? Elijah responds how he's been zealous for God, but he's alone in following God. His efforts are torn down. His life is threatened. So why live it all alone and afraid? But God was not about to allow Elijah to dilute the good he had done and was going to do with self-pity. God loved Elijah too much to allow him to be done. Continuing on in verses 11 through 13, it says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, 
what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah had seen God do miraculous things. He had seen the power of God in fire and rain and in signs already. God is power. He is the great wind that tears mountains apart and the earthquake that shakes the world's foundation and the fire that consumes every atom. But God was not in those things at that moment to meet with Elijah. He was a gentle whisper. And Elijah, in his brokenness, was quiet and empty enough to hear him. God did not approach him in harshness and tell him to suck it up. He didn't blast him with power and strength to go back into the spiritual battle he came from. He gently approached him with the same question as before. What are you doing here, Elijah? This is the other aspect of rest, being still and quiet enough to hear God's whispers. When he gently approaches you and asks you in your situation, what are you doing here? What are you doing in that friend group? The one that you think you're influencing for better and pulling up to your level, but it's a lot easier to be pulled down than it is to pull up. And so you find yourself always doing the things you say you won't and acting the way you swear you won't act because when you're around them, you fall into easy habits and the cheap love of acceptance and validation. What are you doing in that addiction that you swear isn't an addiction because you could technically stop at any time you wanted to. You just don't want to at the moment. What are you doing in that place where you know you make poor decisions, but it's where you default back to when you're not feeling happy, even though you know that happiness turns to regret when you leave? What are you doing where you are and where do you want to be? Elijah answers God the same way he first did. And here is God's call to action because he doesn't let him just stay in that response and what he's feeling. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and those whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. First, God let him rest. Then he asked Elijah what he was doing where he was at. He brought Elijah into his presence, reminded him of his power. And finally, he reminded Elijah of his mission. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, the rest of that verse that I read from earlier, the whole thing reads like this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. But then it follows up and it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Romans 12, 11 says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. We come to God for rest and then we do the work. This is the flip side of understanding the value in busyness I was talking about. Elijah says that he had been very zealous for the Lord, but Romans tells us that we should never not be zealous for the Lord. God made us. He sees our limitations. I talked about this in the beginning. He knows how he built us and how we're wired. But zeal for the Lord is not about your emotions. It's about who you choose to follow. Who do you say yes to and make your priority? Who is God in your life? Mark 6, 30 through 34 says that the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. 
So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Like Jesus with his disciples, God offered Elijah rest. And in Jesus's story, they barely had a chance to rest. They've gotten in a boat. They've rowed over to the other side and Jesus saw a need. And he had compassion on them. So even in his human limitations, he chose to serve instead of rest in that moment. And what Jesus was given the strength and authority to do, that rests in us with his spirit. So Elijah had a brief rest. God allowed him to explain how he was feeling and where he was at. But Elijah still had work to do. He had people to serve. Elijah heard what God said. He heard that there was 7,000 other people still loyal to God. And Elijah, reminded of his calling and that he's no longer alone, went where God told him to and continued the work God had for him. Philippians 1, 21 through 25 says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. This is a letter written by Paul, someone who knew what it was like to be busy and to do battle for the Lord. He also knew what it was like to rest in God's refuge. Here he was saying that he would like to die. Like Elijah in his prayer to God, Paul would love to move on to the next stage of his eternal life where his suffering would not be felt and he could be with his Savior. But Paul knew what Elijah discovered in 1 Kings, which is that there is still work to be done. If Paul departed to be with Christ, he would not continue bearing fruit for the kingdom. He would not continue with the young churches to teach them to give way to progress. He would miss out on their joy and faith in Jesus. If Elijah died, who would have trained Elisha? Who would have done God's work then? Who would have had the honor of being taken up to heaven to be with God in a whirlwind instead of facing death? I guess what I really want you to take away from this is that when you rest in the Lord, it is good. And when you serve the Lord, it is good. And when you rest in the Lord so that you might be refreshed to make a difference in this world and to bring him glory, that is best. There's a combination effort there that God designed and is perfect in his design. I'm still working on finding the balance between resting in God's provision and being busy serving him and others well, but I know that God has work for me to do, and I know that I need him to be able to do it. So I think that's a really good place to start. So I guess we can go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for being a God that we can come to when we are overburdened and we are weary, that you are a God who wishes to give us rest. Lord, I thank you for being a God who does not allow us to sit in our own despair and in our trials and in our problems alone, that you come to us and you surround us in your presence and fill us with your spirit and give us strength to continue our purpose, God, that you remind us of our mission and help us to live it out. Lord, thank you for coming to us in a gentle whisper when we are still in quiet and listen to hear your voice. Thank you for being the power that is with us in every moment that remember we are not alone and the enemy cannot overtake us. Lord, I pray that you remind us of our purpose and help us to not sit still when we should be busy, but also to not be busy when we should sit still. I pray that you give us opportunities over the next couple of weeks to sit with you, prioritize you, and learn where we need to step back and let you step in and where we need to step up and allow you to help us 
bear fruit for the kingdom to allow you to work in our lives beyond what we think that we're capable of, Lord. I pray that you help us understand our limitations so that we have the opportunity to cast off those limitations and count on your limitlessness, God. I pray that you replace any hopelessness felt with hope and faith. I pray that you cast off any depression or pain or fear or struggling that people are feeling mentally or physically or emotionally, God, and I pray that you fill them up instead with your love and your peace and your kindness and your patience and allow them to overflow out of their cup and into this world to serve you well. God, I thank you for the ways that you are going to move in our life, and I thank you for the ways that you are going to show up throughout our days, whether it be as something as powerful as fire being called down or something as subtle as a gentle whisper, Lord. I pray that we feel your presence that we move according to your will, God, and that you help us become the people that you have called us to be and fulfill the missions that you have called us for. It's in your name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, finishing that off with some additional readings, we got Acts 2, 37, Revelations 3, 16, Genesis 2, 2 through 3, Hebrews 4, 9 through 11, Psalms 127, 2, and Exodus 33:14. Thank you for joining in as God is teaching me new things. Feel free to reach out on any of my social media platforms if you have any questions, want to talk or have a prayer request. And if you have a chance, please take a second to go ahead and rate this podcast wherever you're listening or like this video if you're watching it on YouTube because I'm just trying to spread the word of God the best way that I know how. Remember, God loves you. I love you. You are important. You have worth and you have a purpose. I'm signing off. See ya.